me and the time I was able to spend in Union Gap. First Corinthians chapter 14. This is, I don't intend to spend a lot of time on this. I just want to give somebody an answer to a question. You may have asked, you may not have yet asked. But somebody in here can learn from this. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32. This verse, I admit to you, I didn't know where it was found. I didn't know who it was talking about. I didn't know who said it. But I've heard it said, and I've actually heard it phrased in a question more than I've heard it um, uh, taught upon or explained in any type of uh, format. So this I just want to tell you so you can, I don't know, put it in your back pocket, put it in your memory, put it in your spirit for when the time comes that you do get asked this or ask yourself this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32, it says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I have heard so many times people ask, what does that mean? And in that, that's the question. That's, that's really the answer in this, in this uh, passage. It's a statement. The who that it's talking about are in the verses preceding, and the why is in the verse following. So let me just show you this really quickly. If you jump up to verse 29, all, a, a lot of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is writing about how, uh, I guess we could call it proceedings of a church gathering are supposed to take place. And in a lot of this, I'm sure you've heard it taught about as far as um, what it means to speak in tongues, how to speak in tongues, how it edifies the church. And every, uh, every instance that Paul talks about here, he, he kind of draws a contrast or a comparison between when somebody's praying in tongues and in other parts of it, he calls it praying with the understanding, which really means praying in your native language. So kind of you're either doing one or the other in these instances. You're either praying in the tongues or you're praying with the understanding. And that's what a lot of this passage talks about. And then he starts to talk a little bit about prophesying. What I've tried to tell my kids is that a prophet is somebody that has a message from God and is charged with the responsibility of telling either an individual or a group of people, what that message is. That's about as uh, simple as I can define what a prophet is, somebody that tells the message from God. So in the church, I guess I could use this phrase, in the church service context or in the proceedings that we're talking about here, when Paul talks about a prophet or somebody prophesying, that's what he's saying. Somebody that has a word from God, a message from God, and gets up and delivers it. So the verse we just read, verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Let's talk about what that means. Verse 29, let the prophets, plural, more than one, 
Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. That's an interesting concept if you stop and think about it, because especially in the Old Testament, as we think about the prophets, we usually see one at a time in a setting. This prophet went here and said this to this king or this group of people, delivered this message in a confined setting. Now, here Paul is saying multiple prophets. When one is speaking, the others are judging. What is is being said? Is it really a message from God? And that, of course, you can infer from that that there's, there's the possibility, maybe even the likelihood, that a prophet would get up and speak something that's not from God. So let the other judge. Verse 30, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. (laughs) What that means is what prophet A is prophesying. Prophet B, it says if anything is revealed to him. So as he's judging what prophet A is saying, prophet B has something revealed to him. And then it says if that's the case, let the first hold his peace. What that means is, stop talking. (laughs) Hold your peace. Now that can either be Prophet B stands up and says, hey, stop talking for a minute. And Prophet A gets to hold his peace. Or it could be Prophet B comes up and says something about what Prophet A said. And Prophet A doesn't get to rebut. He doesn't get to get back up and say, okay, that's a debate uh, format. And the church is not supposed to be a debate format. I would dare say that none of our church gatherings, whether they be in the building or not, are not supposed to be a debate format. Verse 31 says, For ye may all, ooh, I like that, for ye may all prophesy one to another. Is that what it says? Did I read that right? One by one, you may all prophesy one by one. That all may learn and all may be comforted. It's kind of the the two purposes of, of the prophesying. Learning and comforting. And you're all, we are all supposed to learn and be comforted by that prophesying. One by one. Verse 32 is what we read. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So really back in verse 30 is is the picture of that. Like I was saying, prophet A holding his peace when prophet B says something. That's what it means. The spirits. This is not some uh, supernatural Oh, the prophet gets to go anywhere and say whatever he wants because the spirits have to obey him. That's not what it means, okay? It doesn't even say the spirits are subject to the prophets. 
It says the spirits of the prophets. The prophets' spirits are subject to the prophets. You got that? Now, I said the why is in the verse preceding, following. Verse 33, here's why. For God is not the author of confusion. It is confusion if the spirits of the prophets aren't subject to the prophets. And if I get up and tell you that we should all do this and this and this, and then Brother Nelson gets up and says, we should all not do this and this and this, we got confusion on our hands, right? God is not the author of confusion. So really that puts a lot of responsibility I would say on the prophet, but really it says on all of us, because as the verse said, you may all prophesy one by one. I don't think it's a, a stretch to say if you've been a part of Life Church for any amount of time, you know there's a likelihood, there's a possibility that you might be asked to speak at a, at a moment's notice. If it hasn't happened yet, just keep coming. And in that regard, <laughs> this is the scary part, what you say will be judged. It's scary to us. And we think, oh, I don't even want to take on that responsibility because I don't want to have the, re the, the responsibility for having what I say be judged. I'm just trying to answer that question. That's all I'm trying to do. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. I'll read verse 34. I really don't want to, but I'll read it because it's in there. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. <coughs> and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. I'm just going to let that one bounce around for a little bit. If you didn't know it was in there, it's in there. If you don't know what to do about it, pray about it. Because I'm moving on. I was driving through uh, one of the more residential parts of Yakima recently, and uh, I started to pray for the individuals in the areas that I was driving through, and I tried to start praying a spiritual covering over the neighborhoods that I was driving through. And then I felt the Lord start to, I don't know, call me into question about what I was praying about. And what I got from that was, you can't cover something that doesn't want to be covered. I can. I, so what I'm doing is, there, there, it's kind of this, we know the verse that says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against 
powers and principalities. So it's a spiritual thing. I can't take a spiritual thing and give it a, uh, uh, I'll use this term, worldly application and expect it to stick. Because we're talking about two different sets of parameters and guidelines. I can try to pray a spiritual covering over Brother Lewis as much as I want to. And the, the degree to that, the, the, the degree of effect that that prayer has is not hinged upon me and my praying. It's hinged upon him and his submissiveness to the covering that I'm trying to pray over him. Does that make sense? So you can't cover something that doesn't want to be covered. Let's go ahead and look at 1 John chapter 2. I have a few different passages. I'm waiting for the Lord to put them together. 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to start reading verse 14. No, verse 15. Because as I started thinking about this and and... I guess you could say, dialoguing in my spirit with the Lord. Okay, I want to pray this spiritual covering over them, but you're saying I can't if they don't want to be covered. Why is that? Well, it's a very simple simple reason, simple explanation. Um, we Humans have a will, a will of their own. And as much as I might want to, I can't control that will of another individual. So again, as I said, you, you can pray spiritual covering over a, a person or a group to the degree that that person or group wants to be under that covering. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. What I'm trying to do here is explain this, I guess, kind of uh, path that the Lord was giving to me in my understanding of this. Because we're talking about humans. When it says love not the world, we're talking about how human nature and worldly influence interact. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Don't get confused because, or, or don't take this as a, as a uh, license to say, I don't have to love somebody. We're not talking about people at the individual level, okay? The world, the things in the world, we're not talking about people. For all that is in the world, verse 16, the lust of the flesh, we're talking about what's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of what? The world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. 
but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let me read to you. First, I'm going to read this in a few different translations, two different translations here. Because as I'm thinking about these things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life, that's how I get to see what causes these individuals to act the way that they act. Okay, we're talking about a spiritual influence on the world, an evil, I'll use that word, evil, spiritual influence on the world and all that's in the world. I know that you know this, that Scripture calls uh, Satan the prince of the power of the air. And, and the air that it's talking about is this atmosphere, the world's atmosphere. We're talking about what's in his atmosphere. This is his realm. Okay? Everything that belongs to the world, what the, the, the lust of the flesh, it calls it the sinful self-desires. The lust of the eye, that's what people see and want. And the pride of life, that's everything in this world that people are so proud of. None of this comes from the Father. The Amplified Version puts it this way. All that's in the world, the lust and sensual craving of the flesh and the lust and longing of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, which is the pretentious confidence in one's resources. Okay, I got to stop. I don't want to lose you. I think it's pretty self-explanatory when we talk about the lust of the flesh. We all have flesh in here. We know that our flesh has desires. That's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eye, also pretty self-explanatory because you see it, you want it. That's how the lust of the eye works. The pride of life, that's why I'm taking the time to uh, explain this for us because I, I don't know that we so easily identify with the pride of life as we do those other two elements. Pretentious confidence in one's resources. So it doesn't just say confidence in one resor one's resources. That in itself is enough pride. But then it says pretentious. So really what that tells us, what that means is, I know that my resources aren't enough. Yet I'm still going to be proud of them. That's what pretentious means to pretend. So I'm pretending that I'm proud of my resources, that pride of life. I've talked about this before, this, this element of pride, and really how it, it, what it says is what I have is the best because it's what I have. That's that pretentious confidence in one's own resources. It doesn't just say... I have the best because it's the best. It's a, it's, a, it's a mind frame. It's a state of mind that says nothing can be better than what I have because it's mine. Now, I, I don't know how we could, we would sit back and say, how does that, I mean, you can, you can quantify a lot of things in life, like somebody's bank account or the price tag on 
their, their possession. You can quantify that. And then to turn around and say, no, what I have is better, even though their, that, their quantity is greater. That's a pretentious confidence in what you have. Or the stability of earthly things. The stability of earthly things. Earthly things, anything that's from the earth. And so you have this pretentious confidence in something from the earth. That's the pride of life. I know I'm not going fast. and uh, I'm, I'm trying to give it to you as it was given to me. Okay, because I'm talking about why I, why I can't pray a spiritual covering over somebody if they don't want it, and I'm talking about why would somebody not want this great spiritual covering that comes from the Lord? Not because of me. I mean, I'm not the one with all this eloquent speaking and great praying. Yo, you you need what I have. No, I know that they have a need, and I see the lack of it, so I want to pray for it. But I'm explaining why someone would choose to opt out of it. Because they have this pride of life, this pretentious confidence in themselves, their resources, or just this worldly structure of things. And it's a false confidence to say, I am okay because I have such and such and such and such. Some of you might follow the stock market. If there ever was such a thing as a pretentious confidence, because it's it's the word we use as volatile, it can change drastically at a moment's notice. So to say, I have this much stock, and here's exactly what it's worth. Yeah, that's what it's worth at that moment. But let's talk about it in two months. Let's talk about it in two hours. Uh, you might be a little more shaky then. Because it's volatile. Your, what your confidence is in is volatile. These do not come from the Father, but are from the world. The world is passing away, and with it, its lusts, the shameful pursuits and ungodly longings. But the one who does the will of God and carries out his purpose lives forever. I want my efforts to have an eternal Impact. I'll say that again. I want my efforts to have an eternal impact. Let's look at James chapter 1. Talking about people. People are easy to talk about when, as long as you don't name them. (laughs) 
but because we're talking about human nature. Now, I, I, this would be an interesting poll to take if we could go around town and take a poll of this. Knock on somebody's door you've never seen before. You don't know anything about them, their background, their uh, set of beliefs, their faith, their relationship with God or lack thereof. If you don't know any of that, you just knock on the door and you ask them, do you want the spiritual covering of God over your life? Think about that. A lot of them will probably say, this is a hoax of some kind. It's a scam. I got to say no automatically <laughs> because I don't, I don't take anything that somebody's asking, offering me at the door. That's the skeptical nature of, the, of, a, of a human being, all right? It's part of our skeptical nature. But what it starts with or what it's rooted in is that pride of life. I'm good the way I am. It doesn't start with everybody's bad and trying to sell me something. It doesn't start that way. Now, you hear enough of those stories, and you get some wisdom behind it, and you know, okay, look out for this and this and this. That's wisdom. That's something different. But it starts with, I don't want anything you're selling. I'm not buying. And that's because I'm good the way I am. Let's start first, uh, James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Okay, so what that really is saying is, the evil part, that's the key word there. Let no man say when he is tempted by evil. Okay? Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God or of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And the implication there is with evil. We know that God tests us. He puts tests and trials in our life. That's different than this temptation of evil. Okay, it's not the same source. You got that? It's not the same source. The temptation of evil is not from God. God doesn't say, oh, I know this is a weakness of yours. How much of this can I put in your path to really test how committed you are? He doesn't work that way. You understand? Verse 14. But every man, everybody say every man. Every man. And I have to say, and woman, this is a universal man, human being, every man and woman, every person, is tempted. When he is drawn away, we're talking about evil, still, tempted of evil, tempted by evil. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This is how it starts, this human nature, this thing that we're trying to talk about tonight and understand why would it not want a spiritual covering? Why would it opt out of that blessing? 
Well, we're talking about humans. Here's how the human process and method of our flesh works. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. And if you start looking at this, I know we, I got a lot of Bible readers in here, and I really like that. I appreciate that. When you start looking at this, every time you see that word O-W-N, own, what it's doing is doubly emphasizing the ownership, the source, where it comes from. It could easily say every man's tempted when he's drawn away by his lust, have the same meaning, but without the same impact. So it puts in own to give an extra emphasis. Every man's tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. I'm not tempted when I'm drawn away by somebody else's lust. Understand? I'm not tempted when I'm drawn away by something that works on somebody else. It's my own lust. Verse 15, then when lust hath conceived. Now, we talked about in 1 John, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. All of those things fall into this enticing that we're talking about. The thing that I, that I lust for or long for. What I want. Okay? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Those are things in this world that work against me and my spiritual walk. So every man... Okay, so then when lust is conceived... Any one of those things, lust of the flesh, conceived, lust of the eye, conceived, pride of life, conceived. It brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm not trying to talk about sin. I'm not trying to talk about lust. Okay, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to preach somebody to tears. That's not the point of this. What we're trying to do is understand this human nature and why it works the way that it does, even to the point of choosing something else over God. Choosing something else over the Spirit of God and all that comes with the Spirit of God. You find sin, you find lust, you find temptation everywhere that there's a human being. Everywhere that there's a human being, you find those things. You mean in the church? Is there humans in here? You find those things. Now, the good news is, Scripture says, where sin abounds, his grace doth much more abound. Now, that doesn't say as long as the sinner can get to church, then he can find grace, and there's more grace than there is sin. There's nothing about the only where 
the only geographical location that we're talking about is where there's sin. And what did I say? Where is there sin? Anywhere there's a human, there's sin. So anywhere that there's a human, there is abundant grace. There is grace that abounds anywhere that there is a human. Question is, are they choosing that grace? Or are they choosing that sin? Now, we know, I'm not naive, I know most oftentimes in the human race they're choosing the sin. Over the grace. And I know, I know why. Because we're talking about it. How it works. How it operates. It starts with his own lust. Her own lust. It starts there. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. The head of every man is Christ. Now, we're, we're talking about more than just a family structure here, okay? I know oftentimes when we see this chapter and we know kind of the things that are inside there, we automatically think, okay, that's the family, and I'm either the man or I'm the woman, or I'm the child. So where do I fall in that? But what we're talking about here is a principle of this, of this matter, the principle of it. As I try to pray spiritual covering, spiritual authority, spiritual protection over an individual, it goes back to this principle. It goes back to this principle. The head of every man is Christ. Now you can temporarily get outside of that. I throw in the word temporarily because we are eternal beings. And like the scripture says, every knee shall bow. That's appointed in time for every knee to bow. Every tongue to confess that this is the right authority structure. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's how it works. So when it says here, the head of every man is Christ. That is also not just talking about the church. Okay? It's not just talking about the believers. He's saying this is the way that it should be. This is the divine order of humans. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man. You want to mess some stuff up, get outside of that order. 
you want to see some stuff messed up, if we, if, we, if we try to remove the personal burden there for a minute and just talk about this from a, a greater example. You want to see some stuff messed up, go into a home where this is not right. Especially when you have history behind it. Lord, when you have history and you know somebody's family tree and you know the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents and all that are the children that grow up to be those things. When they're not in this order. You see some stuff, you see some evil. I'm not talking bad about people. Don't misunderstand me, please. I'm not talking bad about people. I have family that fits into that category. I would never just sit here and, and talk bad about somebody on purpose. I love people. But this is, this is where we're going with this human nature stuff. Why would somebody opt out of the spiritual covering? Are they in this proper alignment? My thought was, let's get them all to a Bible study so we can teach them. I don't know how practical that is, though. I mean, it'll save some people. Thankfully, it'll save some people. But when they're not going into Bible studies by the droves to learn why their lives are out of order. The head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Follow along with me. I'm going to read through this. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all as one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. For as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. I heard this said recently. about this, this modern day, this age that we live in. You want to mess some other stuff up? Go preach this in public. Go try and tell somebody that every woman's supposed to be subject to her husband. Go try and tell somebody every man's supposed to be subject to Christ. See, we, we would think, we, we, we see the, the, the fleshly and the worldly parallel and just women uprising. No, this is women's lib. This is, this is you know, women are equals and, and all that. And you're trying to say that women aren't equal. I'm trying to say a woman only has to be submitted to a man. A man has to be submitted to Christ. I said this once before. And I know most of you probably will think I'm crazy. And I'm just saying this because I'm, I'm a male and not a female. Standards of separation... This is my opinion. Standards of separation are more difficult for a male 
than they are for a female because a male can blend in. Because standards of separation don't just apply to what you wear and how you look. It's how you act. It's how you talk. It's, it's your character. It's your nature. And it's a lot easier to blend in and think nobody knows. Nobody knows. But what, you're a female and you have to do this and that and you have to look this certain way. Everybody knows. Everybody's holding you accountable. But, but we men, who's holding us accountable? Who's our head? Christ is our head. Christ is holding us accountable. And you get a, you get a, a woman that doesn't like to be accountable and you just got a man trying to deal with her. Okay? I know this is practical and there's, there's exceptions to every rule and all that. Here's, here's the exception. You take any one of these levels out, you go to the next one above it. That's, that's pl- it's plain and simple. You go to the next one above it. The Bible, the Bible... Here's what I think is the problem society has with the Bible. It doesn't give everybody equal opportunity. This society says you better give everybody equal opportunity or you're going to get sued. In one form or another, I don't care if you're a McDonald's, I don't care if you're a bank, I don't care if you're selling lemonade on the stand, on the street corner. You better give everybody an equal opportunity or you're going to get sued. Oh, you sold him your last cup of lemonade? I can tell you why you did that. I'm going to take you to court over it. It's because of me. I didn't get the equal opportunity to buy that lemonade. Therefore, I have a case in this modern society. My voice wasn't heard. Verse 8 says, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. When God made Eve, he said, I'm going to call her a woman because she is from man. So if you don't, if you don't like this, that's how far back you can take it. That's who you can take it up with. I'm sorry. I know that sounds harsh. I'm not trying to be harsh. But this is truth. Either you believe the Bible or you don't. And if you believe the Bible, you either have a problem with that or you're okay with that. Either way, you get to take it up with the Lord and get some, get some counseling from him. Thankfully, he's the counselor. 
when you need it. He's the free counselor, I'll add, when you need it. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. What, what power does the man have on his head? He has Christ on his head. It's, I, I don't feel like we need to, I, I don't feel like we're pressing up against anybody's attitudes here, okay? Uh, this is, what we're saying here is just the Bible. It's just truth. We're saying this in a room full of believers, but you can still feel the heaviness of this truth, can't you? You can still feel the, the impact, the weight of truth. When you, when you, just when you say it, you can feel it. Oh, he said that? Oh, they went there? It's just the truth. I'm going to read verse 10 again. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman. Neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things of God. Would you pray with me just where you're seated there? Jesus, this is the truth and your word is truth. God, all things that we need, we can find it in you. Everything that we have need of, Lord Jesus, we can find it in you. Jesus, I thank you, God, for loving me enough to impart this and share this truth with me. Jesus, I pray right now the power of your word, Lord. Let it go forth. Jesus, in your name. Why don't you just stand with me and pray? Come on. Jesus, we're releasing your truth right now. We're releasing your truth, God. Lord, let your word be true and let every man be a liar. God, there is no truth but you. There is no other source but you, God. Everything that we are, everything that we need, everything that we have, God, it comes from you and from you alone. Jesus, I pray right now, your truth prevail. Your truth prevail, Lord Jesus. Hataye aramahakataye. He andalomosakataha. Jesus, I love you. I praise you, God. I give you glory, God. I give you glory, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Halasatahaye. Let me say one more thing. I'm going to turn this over to Elder Hart. This is for the glory of God. It's not for anything else. If it becomes about anything else, we're in trouble. 
This is for the glory of God. When the man prays or prophesies with his head uncovered, it brings glory to God. When the woman prays or prophesies with her head covered, it brings glory to her husband. And that brings glory to God. Elder Hart. Praise God. Why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you, everybody in the room that's capable, would you reach your hands and just stretch them as high as you can? Really do that right now. Stretch them as high as you can. In Jesus' name. Why don't you talk to the Lord right there? Come on, talk to the Lord. Jesus, we receive of your word. We receive of your truth. We need your word. We need your truth. We can do nothing without you. You know our frame. You understand that which we need in our lives. You give answers and you give understanding because of your love toward us. We receive of your word. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you can be seated. I am aware of the time. I'm not concerned by the time, but I am aware of the time. I, uh, I had this thought that went into my spirit there. Um, it sort of caught me by surprise. How many of you remember the story of Naaman in the Bible? Naaman the leper that went to the prophet. He had a young lady in his house that was sent him, said, you know, there's a prophet in my country. He had leprosy, and so she sent him, and he went to his house, to the prophet's house, and knocked on the door, and the prophet didn't even come and greet him. Remember the, some of you know that story? Matter of fact, the prophet told his servant Gehazi, you, you go out there and so he went out there to Naaman, and Naaman, now Naaman was, he probably had some pride of life, Brother Flowers. He had some title and prestige and position, and, but he had leprosy. That was a blemish on his pride of life. And so he, because he was sort of desperate and had a need, anybody ever been desperate and had a need? He was desperate and he had a need, so he responded and he went to the prophet's house not even in his own country, but he was a captain in the Syrian army, but he went to another country, went to the prophet's house. The prophet didn't come out, but the prophet sent his servant out and gave him some instruction. The servant of the prophet said, tell him to go to the Jordan River and dip seven times in the Jordan River. And he'll be cleansed of his leprosy. Now, if you had a desperate need, wouldn't you think, hey, okay, I don't care who gets it to me or how it comes. I heard I'm doing. But Naaman, pride of life, needed an answer. And he went hoping to receive an answer. And he got an answer. But he didn't like the answer. And the reason he didn't like the answer is because it was contrary to his flesh nature, the pride of life. 
and therefore he was mad. I mean, read the scripture. He was mad, and so he got in his chariot. He probably took it out on the horses. <laughs> I, I just picture, I mean, he's mad. And he's storming off back where he came from. He just got an answer. He didn't have time for the answer because it didn't fit what he wanted. So he's taken off. Man, I, I don't know who his servant was. But my goodness, they must have had some kind of relationship. Because his servant says to him, you know, Naaman, if he would have asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, yeah, I'd have done it. But he asked me, I mean, we got all kinds of beautiful, clean, wonderful rivers in Syria. And he's telling me, go down to the dirty Jordan. <laughs> I, know, I know, but but if he would have gave you something great to do, you'd have done it. He, he just asked you to do something simple. Just receive the truth. I mean, he didn't say that. He just said, receive the response that you got that was, just go down there and do this seven times. Naaman said, okay, fine. And he went and he obeyed the word of the Lord. And when he came up the seventh time, his skin was new and clean and the leprosy was gone. I said all that to say this. Some of you came tonight hoping to maybe hear and receive some things that would give you some answers and, and help turn some situations in your life. And the truth of the word of God has been declared to you, but there's some that you're really wrestling because, I mean, it's almost like Naaman getting asked to go dip in a dirty river. No, that can't be the answer I need. I, I had, I, I, you know, I need something that appeals more to my. Pray with me again. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Your word is true. We trust in and receive of your word. Your word cannot lie. Your word is forever settled in heaven. The principles of your word are without fail the principles of your word are not subject to the guise of men the principles of your word stand forever i pray by the grace of god let us embrace let us embrace into our spirit the principles of the word of god let god be true and every man a liar in jesus name in jesus name in Jesus' name, I, I want to read a passage of Scripture quickly, and I am trying to hurry, but I, I, I pray you're keeping your spirit open. The Lord has said a lot to us here tonight, and there were a quickening in my heart. James 1 again, but I want to go back to verse 12. I want to start one verse earlier than where Brother Flowers was. James 1 and 12. Listen. Read, see with me the word of the Lord. Blessed. Anybody interested in that? Blessed is the man or woman, mankind, that endureth temptation. 
Why? For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. That word tried there, many of you have heard me share this before, this concept, but specifically what is said there. That word tried there is dokimos. It come, that's the Greek word. It comes from a word that when, I'm familiar with this because of money and banking and, and studying this scripture a little bit. It comes from a word that when money was made back in this time, it was there were those who would take um, metal, get it hot so it would become liquid, pour it into molds that would make coins, and then those molds would be, the, the coins would be taken out of the mold, they would be shaved to be the shape they were supposed to be, and then they were given to the money changers, money changers would purchase them, and then people would go to the money changers and get coin. Follow me? Well, there were some money changers who were called dokimos. That's where we get the Greek word, when he is tried. A money changer that was called a dokimos was known to be a a money changer of integrity. Because what money changers would do is, if they did not have integrity, is they learned this. They could take those coins that they had received from those that had poured the molds and prepared them. They could take those coins and they could shave the edges a little bit scrape some metal off for themselves and still trade the coins, but the coin wouldn't be a full weight coin. They were dishonest money changers. But the men that had integrity were referred to as dokimos because they had integrity. They were known not to shave the coins, but when you did your exchanging with them, you were receiving a full weight coin. You were getting value for value. That is the word that the writer used here, when he is tried. It literally means when we're weighed, after enduring temptation, we find, you know what, we didn't try to cut any corners. We allowed the Spirit and the Word of God to do in us what He wanted to do. And we were found when God was finished with us through temptation, having integrity. When that happens... There's something that comes after that. We go through that process for a purpose. Afterwards, we receive a crown of life. This is the blessing. We focus on the temptation. There's blessing. Who promised that? Not a man. The Lord promised that. Why would we endure temptation? It's not based on Earning something, notice the root of it. The Lord's promised it to those that love him. It's based in love. Now, then the next verse. Let no man say when he's tempted of God, I'm tempted of God. God can't be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This is important. Temptation comes from without. You with me? But it appeals to what is within. You 
The word that's used there speaks of bait that's used by a hunter to catch someone to take them to their death. Temptation. That comes from without. But it, we're sort of walking backwards right back to where Brother Flowers started. But I, this is so important for us. It comes from without, but it appeals to what's within. What is within? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And so temptation from without looks to those things that are within. How does the enemy know those things that are within? Those things are within us. Usually a couple of primary ways. Number one, he'll plant thought that we'll take hold of and entertain. So he put it in us. Or we'll say something and out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. And so he knows. And so he then sends temptation to entice what's already within us. And so the Lord, if you went backwards through those verses we just read, the Lord says, I'm going to try you to deal with those things that are in you, not to destroy you, not to find fault with you, but to draw those things to the surface to deliver you so I can give you a crown of life and bless you. Not to reveal those things to say, ah, you're human and evil. No, I want to reveal those things in you, draw them to the surface, deliver you from them, and bring you to a crown of life. You with me? See, when we understand his purpose and his, his motive, sure changes our perspective on going through it and letting him have his work. And why we want the covering in our life and those things. Now we're going to go right on backwards to where he started there. Where Elder Flowers started with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He talked about the pride of life, pretentious confidence. Remember that? I'm going to give you two real examples. Because sometimes we hear these things and we receive them into our spirit. But I don't know about you. I, I probably do because you're human like I. Sometimes I hear stuff and I know God's talking to my heart. God's dealing with me. But I go, man, where does that really fit in my life? So if you allow me to just be transparent, I'm going to give you a couple of real examples, all right? So that every one of us in this room are human. Every one of us deal with these things that the enemy wants to take root in our lives but the Lord wants to bring to the surface and deliver us from through this process of temptation that can come. All right. Pride of life, pretentious confidence. Brother Flowers talked about the idea of having something that even if it's not the best, you say it's better than somebody else. I looked over at my son. I said, well, that's true of my wife. Sorry, that was a, that, well, that wasn't a joke, but it was meant to be funny. Thank you, Sister Vanessa. You caught it, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Brother Ruben's back there going, it's not your wife, it's my wife. So see where, uh, this idea of pretentious confidence. You know where these things get built in our life? They oftentimes get built in our life 
through protection mechanisms. Things we do to protect. I'm going to give you real examples. The Lord's really trying to help us tonight. So, as a child, uh, we grew up fairly poor. Um, not, not like living on the street poor. Don't get me wrong. I'm not painting some sob story here. You understand? I don't want to be misleading. There was, um, I had a roof over my head always. Um, that's more than many people had. Um, I had clothes. Um, they were oftentimes hand-me-down or, but I, I, I wasn't without. So don't, when I, when I use the term poor, I don't want to exaggerate anything. Um, we, there was, there was a time where we went through, uh, a small season as a child where we lived on sea rations. And so I was really good at using those little bitty can openers to open cans and eating those. Cra- I always loved it when I got the can that had the little foil wrapped toffee in it. And so I got in trouble once cause we opened multiple cans trying to find those. <laughs> We had to eat the can we opened was sort of the deal. That was before they had MREs like they do now in the military. This is when they were still in the olive dress. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Military sea rations used to come in these round olive green cans that were about that thick. And you'd take the, in the, in the package came this little bitty small can opener that you could open it with. And there would be like one or two just stale I thought crackers usually there would be some piece of some type of pretty dry meat everything was stacked right on top of each other right because the military had to carry them around my stepdad ended up with a bunch of cases of these so it was probably all expired that's how we ended up with it anyway but and and then every once in a you know they had different things in there but sometimes they had the chocolate this this foil wrap, man, that was like hitting the gold mine in those things, if you got one that had those in it. And, and in the bottom of them, they all had these little packets of chiclets. Anybody remember chiclets gum? Had two chiclets in it. And so we had a whole bag of chiclets in our house because we never, we never ate the chiclets right away. But if you, anytime you needed gum, you could go to the bag of chiclets. So, so I, this, was, this was me as a child. I had those seasons in my life as a child. And uh, so when I was old enough to, I was, I was determined I'm working, 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 working because I'm not living that way. Is that all right? Is that honest? I'm, I'm taking care of that. I'm going to be a hard worker if I got to work two jobs. And so what did I do? When I was 18 years old, I was living on my own. I worked 40 hours a week at Walmart. I got off work at Walmart at 10 o'clock at night. I started my next job at 11 o'clock at night. I worked from 11 at night till 7 in the morning at a 7-Eleven type store, eight hours. Did my 40 hours a week there. I'd get off, a, I'd get off work at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'd go home. See, I could eat at the 7-Eleven, so I'd get free hot dogs, and I'd eat during that shift. I'd go home. I'd get off at 7. I'd get home by 7.30. 
I'd shower, be in bed by 7.30. I'd get back up by noon, get ready, eat, leave my house at 12.30, get back to work at Walmart at 1 and work from 1 to 10. And get. I, I just did it 80 hours a week, 18 years old, 19 years old. And I slept somewhere between 7.30 and noon every morning. Why? What was my motivator? I was going to eat. I was going to, I was... And what was happening was my protection mechanism was building in me pride of life. Does this make sense? The, the Lord's wanting us to be able to, to understand. And, I, and we've been receiving what he shared with us tonight through the ministry of Brother Flower. But we need to understand this where it fits our world. And so this protection mechanism built in me the pride of life. And so what did I do? I worked harder. And I still have this problem. You gotta pray. And I'm being dead serious. You got to pray for me. The Lord has to constantly help me with it. I'm going to work hard. To do what I got to do. And the Lord has to help me. And so what does the Lord do? The Lord constantly strips me of confidence. So that I'll keep relying on him. Now you guys are standing. You guys are sitting here and you're going. Man elder you have all the confidence. I wish I had the confidence. If you see that you're seeing the Lord's hand on my life. And so. I work hard. Now the problem was. Because of that. I didn't understand people who didn't work hard. And I could be really hard on people that didn't work hard. Lord had to deal with me about that, Brother Ruben. So I got all these things that are a product of pride of life in my heart. Does that make sense? Now, is there something wrong with working hard? Goodness, no. I can give you a lot of scriptures about work. Trust me, I've studied them out because I've had to share a few with some boys I have. Not because they didn't want to work. I want to make sure they understood scripture, taught them they were supposed to work. But pride of life. And so what happened? When I was 26 years old, the Lord dealt with my heart and said, you know, you need to leave this job you got and do so. And I want you giving yourself more to the kingdom. So I thought that sounds good. God's got great plans. I'm going to obey the Lord. And I, I sought to do that. And I thought we're just and man, I went through a few years of. Whew. Or all of a sudden. man, I was having reflections on sea rations again. And here I was with two kids and a kid being born. And I was remembering. I wasn't going to do this to my kids. And the enemy beating my brains in. And me trying to produce. And this wrestling, what was it? It was a wrestling between are you going to trust God or are you going to produce yourself again? You're going to trust God or you're going to do it yourself again? What was the Lord doing? He was taking me through this process that we read in James. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried. Why was the Lord doing that? Because he has a promise for me because he loves me. Does that make sense to somebody? We need to see it in real life. 
Now, if I had it to do all over again, would I do it all over again? Yes. You say, yes? Yes. Why? Because the result on the other side of it is well worth it. Does that make sense? I just wanted out when it was happening. This is important. This is important. This is important for us tonight. I told you I was going to give you two examples. I think one's enough for tonight. Why don't you stand with me and talk to the Lord right now? Before we go, come on, just talk to him. I believe he's reached into our hearts with his word. Jesus, in your name, I want to receive of this regarding covering in my life. I need it. I don't want to live without it, Father. These things that you know of our frame, you know, and you don't use them against us. You use them for your purpose and you seek to heal and to help because you have blessings and promises for our lives. God, let us see and hear with the Spirit. Let us discern rightfully your voice and your words. In the name of Jesus, I pray, whereby your spirit, you reveal to us these things that have tried to lay hold in our heart. But God, you and your great mercy and love toward us reach not to hurt us, but to heal us in the name of Jesus and to give to us blessing, a crown of life, a promise from you. That we would walk in the fullness of your will and your calling upon us as children of the Most High God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray. In the name of Jesus we pray. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Are you glad you've come to the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. Praise God. Greet somebody. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Praise God.